why don't we move on to the um, you know technology more generally? I know you've been involved in thinking about technology for Congress in a more broad sense. Um, it's also something we're very interested in and in looking at. Can you talk about what you've done in that space? What do you see? What are the problems? And what are the potential solutions? So, um, you know, as as my colleagues and I have been working on this kind of technology for constituent engagement. Um, we've been kind of surprised that there hasn't been a whole lot of uptake of our ideas among the offices that we've worked with. Um, and it's a little bit strange because it, you can talk to every single member of Congress will tell you that they are looking for good ways to um, kind of learn the insights and views of their constituents. And so it was, it's a little bit weird that, that we have a really good solution. And we actually, just thinking about my earlier work, we have very good evidence that our solution works well. But it's hard to get members of Congress to kind of change the way that they, they've always done things. Um, and, and in our case, we really had a hard time thinking, getting them to think about how to use technology in a kind of a more productive and, and constructive way. Um, and uh, about the time, a couple of years ago, when uh, the House of Representatives created the Select Committee on the Modernization of Congress at, at the beginning of the previous Congress, um, the American Political Science Association, which is our main professional association, created uh, something they called the Presidential Task Force on Congressional Reform. Uh, and uh, they asked me to, to, to serve on that, and they asked me to chair the Subcommittee on Technology and Innovation. And the reason they asked me, it was actually Francis Lee and Eric Schickler, but I know you've had Francis, and so maybe you've had Eric on this, uh, he, this he's, call. Uh, he's, he's in the queue. Okay, yeah. So. So they were the co-chairs of the committee and they, they appointed me to be the chair of the subcommittee on technology and innovation because they knew that I had been through this kind of weird experience of not having a lot of success with technology in Congress. Um, and so I uh, worked with, um, there was a whole uh, committee, but there was a, a the writing group was uh, B and Marcy Harris, who's at Popbox and uh, Claire Abernathy, who's a professor at Stockton University in New Jersey. And so the three of us were a writing team and we ended up spending most of a year trying to diagnose uh, what, what the barrier was, what prevented Congress from making effective use of technology in its work. And it, and it wasn't just our, our example, just one example, but you could talk to any, anybody who's worked in a congressional office and ask them about their constituent relations management software that they use. And, um, you can picture it sort of like that scene in network where everybody runs to the window and yells, you know, I, I, I can't take it anymore. You know, that's that's kind of their that the CRM software is just terrible. Um, and it's again, it's weird because that's how they manage constituent relations. So you think they would do that really well. And it, and there's kind of a long list of things that Congress doesn't um, make effective use of technology in its workflow and its day to day work. Um, and so we spent some time thinking about, well, what's the barrier? What's preventing Congress from um, embracing technology and making the use of uh, using technology more effectively? Um, and what we we settled on was that the the main problem in Congress is it's it's very decentralized. And so you have the 441 individual offices and uh, 20 standing committees and a dozen support agencies. And pretty much uh, all of them are, are their own kind of fiefdom. So each member runs their office, each committee chair runs their, their committee. 
right? The SWORD agencies are pretty independent. And it turns out that, um, uh, that if you look at Congress as a whole, that there isn't kind of an office that's responsible for kind of deploying technology across the whole institution. And instead, the, um, each office and each committee um, and each support agency was really on its own to make its own technology purchasing decisions. And so uh, it, uh, Congress, because of its kind of radical decentralization and how it uses technology, it, um, it really, uh, it, there wasn't really any opportunity for kind of the accumulation of kind of learning best practices about using technology. Because if, if you know, say one of the offices that we worked with really liked their experience, there wasn't any way for them to, to tell other offices, you should do the same thing. And so any lessons that were learned would kind of dissipate in this really decentralized structure. So that's what we, you know, we kind of diagnosed the problem and our solution is to try to find a, is to, we were recommending to Congress to create um, an entity uh, that would, would kind of solve that. So not, I mean, not, not to put in like an IT office, but to put in a uh, kind of a central task force that would enable collaboration across offices so they could kind of brainstorm about best practices and share best practices with each other. So that was kind of our recommendation for how to solve it. And were there any kind of, besides constituent software, um, were there any other areas that were, that you saw were crying out for some kind of centralized solution? Well, we, the task force was before COVID. Um, and with, um, once the Congress shut down, they found that they were really ill-equipped <laughs> to deal with remote work. Um, so they didn't have ways to kind of sign dear colleague letters digitally, right? That, that in fact, that was just solved the other day that, that it used, used to be that staff would have to walk a letter around to every office and get a physical signature. Um, but just, just, just all of the, um, the things that we take for granted with uh, video conferencing. So committees uh, really started, only, only in the past year, really started experimenting with using uh, video conferencing like, like Zoom. Um, uh, in uh, committee hearings, um, there's the, the um, right, so things that we take for granted, uh, they really didn't make almost any use of. So video conferencing or collaboration tools like collaboration, kind of like, you know, we all use uh, Google Docs and collaboration tools and there was just really none of that. Um, and our report has kind of an extensive listing of, of all of the kind of dysfunctions. But, but what was interesting was, the COVID, um, the, the shutdown from the pandemic really forced Congress to innovate and kind of pushed Congress to get kind of much more in line with um, modern technology than, than they had in the past. So, yeah. Was there anything specific? I mean, obviously for the, the members, there's this whole constituent service side of things. What about in the committees, since you spent more time thinking about committees? Is there specific software or technology that committees should be using that would increase their productivity or you know increase their collaborative capabilities? Well, I think it's really important for committees to um, make better use of um, both synchronous and asynchronous conferencing. Um, so synchronous would be to have uh, hearings done and have uh, virtual hearings where you could have experts from anywhere come in and uh, give testimony uh, and they've done that and and also to ha have um kind of asynchronous um uh sort of opportunities 
for people to, to go on to a website and to mark up them and to comment on legislation, uh, but to do it, uh, not to have to do it all at once, but people could do it kind of asynchronously, right? And to kind of collaborate on that, uh, in, that in that way. So I think committees could do a much better job with that. Got it. And what about in terms of leadership? You know, one area that's been talked about that always surprises me is that there's not an automated kind of calendaring system you know, for committee work. I don't know, did you have any recommendations around leadership and how to, how to, you know, make the calendar more productive since time ultimately is the most important thing Congress has? So there was a separate subcommittee that worked on calendaring. Um, so I'd have to refer you to them on that. Um, but we, we actually, in our report, we did document kind of lots of examples of the Congress's ineffective use of technology, but we were actually pretty careful not um, to make lots of recommendations in our report for the for um, kind of so te technology or solutions that Congress should use because what we were what we're mindful of is it's really important for Congress to solve this underlying organizational dysfunction that prevents them from making the effective use of technology before they then start thinking about, well, what technology should we use? Because if they don't do that, uh, if they just kind of go out and buy a bunch of new apps, right, or download a bunch of new apps, they would just be layering new, new technology on an inefficient organization. Uh, in fact, that's what Eric Schickler's, uh, his own work, you know, his early work about congressional reform uh, was really important to, to us in our, in our uh, work was really being mindful of that, that Congress has time and again in its history has tried to kind of reform itself by just layering new solutions on top of and in it, you know the inefficient structure that they were trying to resolve. And um, yeah, so we so what we recommended was to, for con for Congress to um, have a better process for how to for thinking about how to use technology and to develop their capacity uh, for using technology. And to really think about those processes, and if they could plug those processes in place, then those then that process could find what what solutions would make sense. Yeah, I hope that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, one of the problems with any change in process of which technology is a kind, right? Um, it's going to benefit some compared to others, right? It might strengthen leadership versus mm -hmm. your average member. It might strengthen the committee in relation to, to the leader. So. I'm sure that's a very delicate balancing act you have to go through when you're thinking about process change and technology yeah. is probably a kind of process change. A big question there this past year was the remote voting uh, business, right? That that how to and that and that's which is a really important. It was important in, at the time, but it's also really important for um, continuity. You know that if there is like the next pandemic we have, if, or if there's some catastrophe, we really need to have some solution for remote voting. And there was a lot of, um, yeah, that that's an example, I think, where there's kind of institutional winners and losers, and that didn't really take off. But mostly what we've, but there's a lot of uh, the uh, technology for constituent engagement is an area where there's, there's no, there's no caucus in Congress that you know, wants to protect bad technology for working with constituents. There's not a single one of them that wants that. So we sort of, the way we wrote our report was to say, well, at least figure out how to get a process in place that can help you do what every single one of you wants to do. And at least start with that, you know, and then maybe, and then, you know, and then I think 
if Congress can develop capacity, better capacity to engage technology, then it would be in a better, a better, um, it would be better equipped then to take to figure out how to tackle these bigger questions, right? That at least they would have that capacity in place, and then they could decide what what made sense for them. Great. Well, I think it's time for us to move on to our what we call our lightning round, where we ask questions, uh, the same questions to all of our guests, so that someday we can compare the answers. Um, are you ready to move on to that section? I'm ready. All right. The first question is, what do you think congressional representation should mean? So I think that congressional representation should uh, uh, supplement the voice of interest groups with the voice of individuals and that they both should be valued um, and that representatives ultimately are oriented towards uh, representing their the voice of their community and that representation means what is it they do exactly what their constituents say they want them to do or is it they're making judgments about what they think the interests of their constituents are so the best book to read about congressional representation is Richard Benno's book called Homestyle, where he had this idea that an effective representative builds trust with their with 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 his or her constituents, um, where where they have enough trust and that they have feel that they have enough leeway to use their judgment and discretion. Uh, so members of Congress have much better information about the, the effects of policies and the consequences of the policies than the rest of us do, because that's their job. Um, and so what we what they need to do is to create trust with their constituents that they're using their better knowledge and their judgment in a way that helps helps the community. Um, and that it, it can happen that representatives, if they have trust, and this was the big insight in Benno's book, is that if they have the trust of their constituents, they can actually uh, uh, vote uh, on policies or, or write policies that constituents might think is contrary to their interest, but they're able to explain why they did so in a way that makes sense to constituents and constituents uh, uh, you know, recognize the limits of their own understanding and give their, their, their member of Congress leeway to do that. And that, and that makes for, Kind of leverages um, what's good about rep representative um, government is that you're able to le leverage um, the kind of knowledge that that representatives have in a way that advances the interests of communities. Since you had such a considered answer, I'm going to ask a layer down um, to, to see where you come out on the future. You know, because I think obviously you've got a const your constituency is full of individuals today. You know, two, three, four, five, ten generations down. Who's representing them? Is it the current representative? Uh, you know, should a representative be considering those future interests or just those who exist in his district today? So, um, uh, so I think in the end, a good representative is going to have uh, a moral grounding in what they think is right and wrong, and that. How, how to, and, and that it, so it's not just, um, they don't just do what their constituents demand of them, but they do what they think is right. And um, thinking about the consequence of today's policies on future generations, that, that sort of understanding what that is really matters quite a bit 
right, in a, in a moral sense about what we should and shouldn't do. And uh, representatives should have their, their kind of use, use their moral compass to make decisions about, about that, to use uh, expertise, what they learn from what their constituents are telling them, but also just what they understand about policies and then to guide their decision-making based on their own uh, moral, moral grounding. Yeah. How much time should they spend in Washington versus at the, at, in their hometown? So I actually think that as, because of uh, changes in technology and Congress's more recent embrace of the use of remote technology, that that distinction is becoming less pressing, that they can, uh, and, and so what I'd like to see is for Congress to make more effective use of communication technology and its workflow so that members, even when they're in their district, they can do committee work. And even when they're in DC, they can do uh, constituency work. Uh, that, so so, I, so that, that's what I would like to see is, to, is for Congress to make effective use of technology so that there isn't that same distinction. And, if, and to the extent that's true, Right, then I would want to see members to, to balance their time uh, that being in the district is, is vital for them to understand their communities uh, to have to have to be connected to their communities. Um, but nowadays, especially, it's really important for members to find uh, to, uh, to develop personal relationships with each other. And, and then especially if they could develop personal relationships with legislators from, from the other party um, is something that's that's somewhat lacking now. And I would like to see a lot more of that. And I think it's very hard to develop those interpersonal relationships um, using remote technology. I think that there's limits to what remote technology can do. So, so I, I, I think it's important for members to kind of balance um, that they do both. But I think the time in DC is actually really important um, if they're willing to invest their time in trying to build interpersonal relations with their colleagues. So what percent? All right, I will go, I'm just going to say uh, with the caveat that they can do district work when they're in DC and DC work when they're in district, uh, that I would, I would say maybe half and half. Half and half, okay. And what about in terms of legislation versus kind of like oversight work? Do you have a thought about that breakdown? Well, they're connect, they're connected. They're both important, right? So oversight is not um, separate from policymaking. Um, uh, I, I, I that I, I don't. I guess for that it would really depend on the committee and the agency that they're uh, that that and the top the policy topic. So uh, I don't think I can give a generic answer to that. Um, but oversight is really uh, critical nowadays, especially because um, you know co Congress has really disinvested in itself and its capacity over the last couple of decades. Um, but the executive branch really has not, and so the executive branch is has um, kind of extensive capacity to engage in policymaking in a way that Congress cannot. Um, and so oversight in some ways is Congress's best bet to really try to harness that and to make sure that, that the policies we actually live under that are created by agencies are ones that are responsive to our interests. Um, but I can't give, I'm not gonna give a, a breakdown, but I think they're both really important. Great, all right, next one is, uh, how should debate, deliberation or dialogue occur or be structured in Congress? And I don't mean with the constituents, I mean between 
the members and senators? So, okay, so what I'd like to see is for uh, members to get better at speaking across their differences. And they're, they're not really incentivized to do, to do that um, in, in today's party system. And I understand that. But at the same time, Congress is a workplace where they, they work together, they're colleagues with each other. And I do think it's possible for members of Congress to um, develop better interpersonal relations across the aisle uh, that, that then could lead to, to more constructive discussions. Um, what, even if they're not incentivized by the party system, they would be incentivized to do so by the institution. Um, but the problem is that Congress is so thoroughly, uh, so, so thoroughly um, uh, partisan in the sense of it being driven by the leader, leadership, party leadership and partisanship within the institution that members find that they don't really have a lot of opportunities to, um, to see each other, uh, 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 to, to, to kind of actually get to know each other across the aisle. So they do, you know, their orientation is separately and they have, they caucus separately and there aren't really a lot of opportunities for them to socially interact with each other. So I think if, if there was a way for Congress to kind of build in more social interaction among the members, then, then the institution would itself create some incentives for them to, um, get better at, at speaking across their differences and maybe finding some areas of common ground. And so where would that be? Would that be on the floor? Would that be in committee? Would that be, you know, in the gym? You know, are they forced to have dinner together? How would you get them together to talk about these things? Where is the appropriate place for this kind of discussion dialogue? Well, you know, so the, so the, the select committee on the modernization of Congress has been thinking about ways to do this and things like uh, bipartisan retreats uh, would be helpful. I think um, having a meeting space, uh, kind of a, like a lounge area in the Capitol, they're talking about um, where, where there are no TV cameras, but, but members from both parties could just be there and sit down and get a cup of coffee. Um, uh, I think the select committee itself has really modeled some really great behavior where they have uh, Republicans and Democrats seated on together on both sides. So that's not like Democrats on this side and Republicans on this side, but that they kind of mingle and they, they work together and they work really hard at, at sort of uh, building camaraderie across the parties within that committee. And so I think they've modeled some really good behavior too. So I think committees could probably do a better job of it as well. Yeah. Great. Next question is what fundamental institutional improvement should Congress make within 50 years? Well, I would like them to um, embrace our recommendation to create the House Technology Working Group, which was this uh, kind of body that we recommend that would build in sort of better collaboration uh, across the different offices uh, within the institution so that there could be sort of more cross-institutional collaboration on effective technology. So I'd like to see them do that. Um, and it's different, what our proposal was really different from a traditional IT office. And so an IT office, um, kind of like in Congress there's something called House Information Resources, which is sort of like an IT office, but they're not um, as, um, you know, as uh, kind of um, 
regulatory as the one that we have at my university or my wife's IT office at her hospital is like very regulatory, right? And so there's, but, but, but so, so I'm not just talking about an IT office that, that helps them buy site licenses and make sure there's Wi-Fi, but that really there needs to be something that's not an IT office, but that's more a body of colleagues who can kind of talk to each other about best practices and kind of brainstorm sort of good ideas, uh, share, share, um, yeah, like share best practices, uh, right, and to kind of collaborate on technology. And so it's different from just an IT office. And so that's what I'd like to see them to um, create the House Technology Working Group, which is our main recommendation. All right. What book or article most shape your thinking with respect to congressional reform? So the book that's been the most influential for me in thinking about Congress and, and my, my work on te technology for constituent engagement is the one that I mentioned, Richard Fenno's book on homestyle. If you haven't read it, is it, it came out in the 70s, but it's it's just beautiful and it's really beautifully written. Um, but I think the the two the two books that mattered for our uh, our the subcommittee on technology and innovation um, on and our, the report that we wrote uh, would be uh, Jane Fountain's book on the virtual state, which looks at how public agencies uh, kind of what are the barriers within public agencies to adopt new technology that's that's different from the from the private sector so there's a different set of barriers in, in public in the public sector um, and then eric schickler's book on um disjointed pluralism where he looked at past episodes of congressional reform and what kind of worked and what didn't work and sort of this idea that he found was that every time congress tried to reform itself it simply layered a new layer of reforms on top of the existing institutions and never really solved its problems. And so kind of Jane Fountain's book helped us to um, kind of diagnose the problem uh, of, of uh, kind of what the barriers were within a public agency. And then Eric Schickler's book was helpful for us to think about how to propose a recommendation that wasn't just kind of a band-aid, but that really got fundamentally at a way to make Congress better. Great. Well, the last question is just about your plans for the future. What do you want to do in the in the long term with your work? So uh, my work on technology for constituent engagement has led to a, a new project that I've just started. So I got a grant from the Democracy Fund to um, to to build a new platform for uh, deliberative online town halls. And so our work that we did that I described to you. Um, before made use of off-the-shelf technology, sort of webinar technology like Zoom webinar and those kinds of things. Um, and so the best practices we developed were kind of built around uh, the existing commercial solutions. But there were there's limitations to um, uh, webinars are not a particularly good way to hold a town hall because they don't really enable the 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 constituents to to have kind of a feeling that they've had a robust or effective exchange, right? So, so webinars, you have kind of a chat function and a Q&A function, and that's it, right? And then, um, uh, and so, so what I'm doing is building a new platform that is called Pretanium, and uh, it hasn't been released yet, but it's, it's still in development. Um, that's going to create, uh, a, like a webinar tool, 
but one that enables uh, constituents to engage in a much more robust and constructive way and to kind of give real-time feedback to the speaker as they're speaking and ask questions and to comment on each other's questions. And so there'll be a much more robust set of tools for constituents to make sure that their, their voice is heard. And then um, there's also gonna be tools built into it that will enable um, the moderator who's hosting the discussion to manage the questions that come in. So if a member of Congress holds a town hall, there might be a thousand people on the town hall. If you have a thousand questions coming in, it gets very unmanageable. And so we're building a lot of tools that help the moderator to curate the questions, but to do it in a way, both in terms of the constituent engagement side, right? And then the moderator and management side the, the tools that we're building are designed um, to, uh, with the purpose of trying to foster that more constructive, um, uh, informed and constructive and robust exchange uh, between members and, and constituents. And so all, all of the tools are kind of designed to um, kind of do the opposite of what Facebook does. It's, it's, it's designed to get people to come out of their echo chambers Right to talk across their their differences and to make sure that underrepresented voices get heard. And so those are the tools that we're trying to build into the platform. So and it will be the summertime. Will be um, will be kind of doing a soft launch of it this summer, and then hope, hopefully it'll be something that people like. Great. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for talking with us. Much appreciated. Yeah. Thank you, Matthew.